0: you've probably heard the phrase never bring a knife to a gunfight that's probably right guns are superior we want our brave United States soldiers to carry m16s not pocket knives Uh, would, would you want our U.S Air Force to be a fleet of old World War I biplanes not quite why because today air superiority is established with F-22 Raptors and F-15 Eagles and F-16 Fighting Falcons, some of the best fighter jets in the world. Superiority is safety. Sovereignty is safety. Sovereignty is dominance, and in dominance comes safety. Sovereignty has great benefits, security, comfort, ease of mind. Sovereignty builds confidence and assures things will be okay regardless of danger and threat. I want you to think about sovereignty. Sovereignty is supreme and unrivaled power and authority. Sovereignty is dominance. And when it comes to the power and prevalence of evil in the world, our safety, our comfort, and confidence are linked to God's dominance, God's sovereignty. Dear saints, the foundation of our hope, comfort, peace, and security is built upon God's sovereignty over everything. My point this morning is both simple and obvious in the text. Jesus is sovereign over all evil and will deliver us from all evil. Two parts to that point. First part, Jesus is sovereign over all evil. And this raises difficult questions, not the least of which is the question about the existence of evil and human suffering. If God is omnipotent and good, how can evil and human suffering exist? Fair question, but a really big question and one I am not aiming to explicitly answer in this sermon, but I do want to establish a basis for an answer. R.C. Sproul once said, if there is one maverick molecule in all the universe, then God is not sovereign, and if God is not sovereign, he is not God. Sproul was right. If anything operates outside of God's sovereign decretive will and purpose, God is not sovereign and God is not God. Which means if evil operates outside of God's sovereign decretive will and purpose, God is not God and we cannot trust Him to deliver us from evil. Second part of my point, I want you to see that because Jesus is sovereign over all evil, He will indeed deliver us from all evil evil can be quite overwhelming evil can so vex the body and soul that hope is lost living amidst the power and prevalence of evil in our world what hope do we have to be delivered from all evil outside of God's absolute sovereignty I hope To help you see the necessity and the goodness of Jesus Christ's sovereignty over all evil and how that produces hope. What is Matthew telling us about Jesus? Matthew does not explicitly state one uh, main purpose of his gospel but one significant general purpose is to show that Jesus of Nazareth is God's son. He of course is other things But by chronicling the power, authority, supremacy, and sovereignty of Jesus, Matthew is most certainly telling us that Jesus is God's son who possesses absolute sovereignty over all things. Matthew mentioned in chapter 2 verse 15 that Jesus is the Lord's son called out of Egypt. At Jesus' baptism in chapter 3 verse 17, the Father said from heaven, This is my beloved son. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, Satan questioned twice, if you are the Son of God. And as we continue through Matthew, we'll encounter this theme again, including Peter's confessions. Truly, you are the Son of God, and you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So, when we observe Jesus doing and teaching astonishing things in Matthew, he's operating as God's beloved and sovereign son he is the messiah the son of david the son of abraham but he is also the sovereign son of god again the point i'm trying to make this morning is that jesus is sovereign over all evil and will deliver us from all evil let's begin here number one evil spirits are real powerful influential and devastating but not sovereign. Verses 28 through 34, they're not Halloween fiction, folks. Demonic forces are real and active in the world. Verse 28 says, and when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Gadara was a city about six miles from the shore, the territory of which likely extended to where they came ashore. Inhabitants of the city Gadara and its surrounding territory were called Gadarenes. Two demon-possessed men met Jesus on the shore. Matthew records two men, but Mark and Luke record only one, probably because one of the men was prominent, perhaps more notorious, These two men, these two image bearers of God were possessed by demons, likely thousands of demons. Evil spirits had entered them and controlled them. It was a sad story. Certainly they were sinners. Certainly they were unbelievers lost in sin and susceptible to demon possession. But demons actually entered them and dehumanized them, drove them to unusual rage and aggression. They were miserable, wretched, and beastly. Mark and Luke record that one would cut himself with stones. They lived apart from society among the tombs in the place of the dead. These men lived deprived of the joys and comforts of home, meaningful work, close and loving relationships. Evil had made them monsters. Matthew said they were so fierce that no one could pass that way. The demons actually gave them superhuman strength. Mark and Luke record that one of them, when bound by shackles and chains, would break loose. No one one had the strength to subdue this guy. They were so dangerous that people couldn't travel by the tombs because of potential injury or death. Friends, evil spirits are real powerful and influential and they devastate people's lives. Evil dehumanizes people which produces unimaginable carnage. J.C. Ryle commented, let us settle it firmly in our minds that there is such a being as the devil. It is a dreadful truth and one too much overlooked there is an unseen spirit ever near us of mighty power and full of endless malice against our souls. From the beginning of creation, he has labored to injure man, end of quote. The devil, demons, and evil, well, they're often trivialized. Horror films, Halloween, Ouija board games sold at Walmart, evil entertains people but we must remember that the devil is a real and formidable enemy hell-bent on destroying humanity from the beginning the devil has been trying to deface the image of god in humanity trying to destroy humanity altogether the devil is not your friend he's not your buddy he's not the life of the party he's not the sorry character in red spandex with horns and a pitchfork he's attractive he's alluring a very convincing liar and adversary. He deploys a militia of evil spirits to make sin and evil look more appealing and attractive in order to entice and in order to kill. An incredible marketer. He knows his market well, and he knows what appeals, and he knows what sells. Paul was right to say that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light look at what the demons did to the men made them monsters look at what they did to the pigs a swine mass suicide do not be deceived do not be do do not be naive evil spirits are real powerful influential and devastating but not sovereign the devil is not sovereign there is only one sovereign And J.C. Ryle said, let us in the next place settle it firmly in our minds that the power of the devil is limited. Mighty as he is, there is one mightier still. Keenly set as his will is on doing harm in the world, he can only work by permission. These very verses show us that the evil spirits know they can only go to and fro and ravage the earth until the time allowed them by the Lord of hosts. End of quote. Evil spirits are powerful, but their power is limited and bound by the sovereignty of God. Calvin said, We infer that the whole of Satan's kingdom is subject to the authority of Christ. Both Mark and Luke say that Jesus gave the demons permission to enter the pigs. That's noteworthy. What do you believe about the sovereignty of God? I think when it comes down to it, friends, there really are only two logical options. Either one, God is sovereign over the devil, demons and all evil, all of which are part of his sovereign decretive will and eternal redemptive plan, all of which are constrained by his sovereign boundaries and all of which operate on a leash until the final judgment and eradication eradication from the earth. Or two, The devil is actually able to thwart the plans, intentions, and will of God, which would mean the devil, demons, and evil are at least sometimes superior to God, which in effect would mean God is not sovereign and in fact not God at all. And this second view can be packaged in numerous ways from atheism to Arminianism. The only biblical and logically consistent view is that God is absolutely sovereign over everything without qualification. Now, this raises questions, but what does the text say? The text shows that Jesus is sovereign over evil spirits. They seek his permission. They beg him to allow them to act. They are constrained by his power and authority and must respond to his power and authority. The conclusion must be Jesus is sovereign over all evil. And though questions arise, this is the only conclusion that offers us any hope. Number two, evil spirits fearfully recognize the sovereignty of Jesus, the son of God, and want nothing to do with him. Verse 29, and behold, Matthew uses behold again to call attention to a vivid scene which follows. They cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? The the demons at this point were screaming, shrieking. I imagine it was a dreadful sound. Mark and Luke record that the prominent man actually fell down before Christ, begging for him not to torment them. They addressed him as son of God in Mark and Luke, son of the most high God. The demons knew him. They knew his supremacy. After all, he brought them into existence. On another occasion, a demon shrieked, I know who you are, the holy one of God. The evil spirits knew him and didn't want him around. James 2.19 says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Demons quake before the Lord because they know he is sovereign over them. Now, there are various views on what the demons meant by here and before the time. But I think the, the natural reading of the text suggests that they wondered if Jesus had come to earth to torment them before the time of their final judgment. Demons believe in God's final judgment. The demons dreaded him, which only makes sense if the demons recognize his sovereignty over them. If if they are equals or able to frustrate his intentions or plans in any way, they would not dread him. But they do dread him because they operate beneath his supremacy. They cannot do anything that he does not allow them to do. And that's why Matthew, Mark, and Luke recount evil spirits pleading and begging for his permission to act. Mark 5.13 says, so he gave them permission. They could not act without the Son of God's permission. And if you read Job 1, chapters 1 and 2, makes kind of scratch your head at it but it is a very similar passage satan acted by the permission of the lord which is not easy to comprehend knowing that god is holy and good and righteous but it's true because scripture presents it that way verse 32 and he said to them go so they came out and went into the pigs jesus said go and they came out of the men ultimately The demons did exactly what the Son of God wanted them to do. One of Matthew's other uh, big themes is to establish, and this is really good, a, a helpful connection, that Jesus is the promised Son of David, the sovereign Davidic King. Casting out demons then confirms that this King is the final and sovereign King, which gives hope and confidence to his followers. They're tasting the kingdom. Jesus says later in in Matthew 12, 28, but if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. His kingdom of righteousness reigns over the domain of darkness. He is reigning now. Number three, Jesus is sovereign over everything, including evil spirits. Now, Matthew gives a pattern back in Matthew one. The angel of the Lord said she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Do you hear the certainty of that statement? He will save his people from their sins. There's no question about it. Jesus didn't make salvation of his people possible. He made it certain without question. And for salvation to be certain without question, Jesus must be sovereign over sin, unbelief, Satan, demons, and all evil or else salvation is doubtful. Matthew goes on to say that the child born to Mary is, and this is very exciting for us, Emmanuel, God with us. So from there, Matthew gives evidence that Jesus is God's sovereign son who alone delivers his people from their sin and misery and all evil. Nothing was going to stop him. Matthew 4, 23 and 24 say that Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. He healed every disease and every affliction and healed people oppressed by demons. He did that by his own power and his own authority. After the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew records that Jesus healed a leper, making him ceremonially clean. Healed a centurion slave from a paralyzing and deadly illness. Healed Peter's mother-in-law from a severe fever. What's all that telling us? Jesus is God's son, is sovereign over every disease and sovereign over the human body, and he will deliver his people from their sin and misery. Then Matthew recounts Jesus rebuking The winds and the sea in a violent tempest and calming the sea. What's that telling us? Jesus is God's son, is sovereign over weather, winds, water, and the entire universe, and will deliver his people from their sin and misery. Evil spirits begged Jesus for permission. Jesus says, go and they go. Demons which once controlled men are driven from men by the power and authority of Jesus. What's that telling us? Jesus is God's son is sovereign over all evil and therefore will deliver his people from their sin and misery because nothing not evil not the devil not evil spirits not even evil inside the human heart will stop Jesus from delivering his beloved people from their sin misery and all evil which is the eternal and redemptive will and plan of his father Part of the reason the gospel is good news, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus overcomes the evil inside and outside the human heart by his own sovereign, curative, and restorative power. What other hope do we have to be fully and finally delivered from all evil? Is there anything that Jesus is not sovereign over, is not able to conquer in order to deliver his people from evil? I watched a a video clip of a well-known pastor preaching. I won't give his name. I want you to hear what he said, and I want you to think carefully about his point, which many professing Christians wrongly believe, and I want you to weigh it against Matthew 8, 28 through 34. I also want you to think of the implications of this pastor's point, if he's right, What does it mean for sinners trapped in sin and misery, enslaved to iniquity and evil, dead in their transgressions, deaf and unable to hear the word of God with faith? What are the implications of what this pastor believes? He preached this, the power of God was in Jesus The healing power of God, the restoring power of God, the same power that made demons flee was in Nazareth, but Jesus could not release it because it was trapped in their unbelief. And there's one thing that even Jesus can't do, one thing that even the Son of God can't do. Even Jesus cannot override your unbelief. I see y'all looking at me like, is this true? I thought he could do anything it said he could not he wanted to he was prepared to he was able to but couldn't the power of god was in nazareth but it was trapped in their perspective end of quote saints first that's illogical he was able to but he couldn't just ponder that for a bit he was able to but couldn't. Second, what he said leads to absolute hopelessness. Even Jesus cannot override your unbelief. If that's true, how does any unbeliever ever get saved? If that's true, how do believers like you and me, struggling to believe, ever grow in faith? If that's true, what good is the prayer, I believe, help my unbelief? Thank God he has given us this gospel promise in his word. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. The leper healed, the paralyzed slave healed, the feverish woman healed, the tempest stilled, the demons expelled. This is our hope. This is our comfort. This is the goodness and the capability of our sovereign king. Nothing, not hell or high water, will stop our king from delivering us from evil. We have no hope Outside of the absolute sovereignty of Jesus Christ, God's son. None at all. Number four. Unbelievers are obsessed with worldliness. Fearful of and blind to the goodness of the sovereignty of Jesus. And want nothing to do with Jesus and his blessings. The demons begged Jesus to send them into pigs. About 2,000 pigs which were feeding on a hillside nearby. We don't know why they wanted to enter the pigs, maybe to destroy some part of creation to show their hatred of God and humanity. Jesus granted permission and said, go. Again, Matthew uses, behold, verse 32, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. A swine stampede to suicide. Now, I've struggled with this for years. Uh, Why would Jesus cause economic disaster for people? There's just something about this. Like, I I know he saw all that, but just something that's like, why did he do that? And I'll admit, in studying this, this came out, that I missed some obvious truths here. So maybe if you're like me, you've missed some obvious things here. First, Jesus didn't command the demons to kill the pigs. Uh, nor did he kill the pigs. The demons did. Second, human beings are of much greater value than pigs. Two men healed and restored are worth more than millions of pigs, and that healing and restoration should be celebrated. Third, Jesus had given them all a wonderful gift of grace, he exhibited his power and mercy and grace as the Messiah. He brought the kingdom to them. The son of God was in the midst in their midst revealing his messianic identity. Economic hardship is absolutely nothing compared to the chance to see the wonderful works of God and receive the grace of God in Christ. And fourth, Jesus, the sovereign son of God, owned the pigs anyway, as creator of the universe. In verse 33, the Gentile pig herdsmen flee back to the city and they tell the whole story. They wanted people to know that they were not responsible for what happened to the pigs. Leon Morris concluded, we need not doubt that they told it all in such a manner that they were exonerated from all blame for the loss of the pigs they were minding, they would have insisted that it was all Jesus' fault. End of quote. Makes sense. Verse 34, and behold, there it is again, drawing our attention to something, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. What? They begged him to leave? Why? They encountered the power and authority of God and they wanted nothing to do with him? Sounds like the demons. One study note said, sadly, most people have more in common with demons than believers. Matthew doesn't, Matthew doesn't tell us why they wanted him to leave. We'd have to guess at their true intentions, but I think we have a good guess. Piecing it together from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the people were seized with great fear. Perhaps they thought, what's he going to do to us? They were likely upset over the pigs. Dr. Carson said they preferred pigs to persons, swine to the Savior. Well, one thing is clear. They did not want Jesus around. And folks, this is unbelief. This is unbelief. The people rejected him. They were unbelievers obsessed with worldliness, fearful of and blind to the goodness of the sovereignty of Jesus. And they wanted nothing to do with Jesus and his blessings. They asked the Son of God to leave them, not heal them, not help them, not deliver them from evil. They asked God to leave. A family inside their homes... Pipes are bursting everywhere, water is sprouting everywhere, and quickly ruining their home. And the plumber shows up, and they ask him to leave. Absurd. It makes no sense. Unbelief is absurd. It's safe to say they were upset about their economic loss. Could they not understand how the power and authority of Jesus could serve them and their community? Heal, restore. William Hendrickson was insightful when he wrote this. This is one of those passages that says as much by means of its silence as it does by its actual words. The people of this region were heartless. They did not rejoice with those who were rejoicing. They did not praise Jesus for having bestowed an unfathomable blessing on two shockingly distressed individuals. They did not even bring their sick to Jesus that he might heal them nor did they ask him to heal their souls. They could think of only one thing, namely the loss of the pigs. It was this that filled them with great fear, end of quote. Sadly, many people recognize the power of Jesus, recognize the authority of Jesus, recognize the compassion, love, mercy, and grace of jesus but still want nothing to do with jesus because of their idolatry and incredulity you see only sovereign grace convicts convinces and converts number five believers are greatly comforted by the sovereignty of jesus want to be near jesus and want to tell others about what Jesus has done for them. In verse 32, when Jesus said go to the demons, they went and these two image bearers of God were healed and restored. No more demon possession. Mark and Luke record that after the demons left him, one of the men was sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. At least one of the men, if not both, wanted to be near Jesus because of what he had done for them in fact Mark and Luke record that one of the healed men begged Jesus that he might be with them or with him the people begged Jesus to leave the healed man begged to go with Jesus but Jesus had other plans for him according to uh, Mark 5 19 Jesus told one of the men maybe both of them go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you and how the man responded is very telling Mark recounts and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled that's true faith and gratitude Sovereign mercy and grace delivers and saves, and the heart responds with joyful and grateful testimony to the power of God, to the goodness of God, to the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty, brothers and sisters, is a great mystery. We're unable to comprehend it entirely. We have questions about it. Yet for believers, God's sovereignty is comforting, not disconcerting. I've talked with Christians through the years who are more unsettled by God's sovereignty than they are comforted. And that's because they misunderstand it. They they are viewing sovereignty more from their perspective than Scripture's perspective. Believers experience God's grace in Jesus Christ and are transformed, they're freed. They're delivered from evil apart from anything that they do and are so awestruck at God's compassion on them that they go and proclaim through personal witness or testimony what God has done for them. Believers put God at the center of the story and take no credit for anything. Believers are like, I was dead, but now all of a sudden God made me alive. I was out of my mind, but now all of a sudden, by grace, I'm in my right mind because Jesus delivered me from evil. What believer wants to boast in their decision or choice when the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ delivered them from evil? Jesus told him, tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Did did the man contribute to the demon's departure at all? no Jesus did it for him here's my point number six Jesus is sovereign over all evil and will deliver us from evil Saints there is evil outside us which sometimes hits close to home abduction abuse rape murder discrimination theft Fraud, deceit, bullying. Evil is real. And sometimes evil comes to us. And there is also evil inside us. And sometimes we commit evil against others. In in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught his disciples now in this intimate moment. And he said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him even inside us dear saints the beloved children of God secure in Christ there is still evil not yet eradicated but being eradicated and Jesus said for from within out of the heart of man come evil thoughts sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. There's evil outside of you, there's evil inside of you. But see, Jesus is sovereign over all evil. And dear brothers and sisters, because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus has delivered you from evil, is delivering you from evil, and will deliver you from evil. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That evil can thwart the intentions and plans of God? No, that's not comforting. That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood. And here it comes, has set me free from all the power of the devil. Heidelberg 34, why do you call him our Lord? Because he has ransomed us, body and soul, from all our sins. Not with silver or gold, but with his precious blood. And has freed us from all the power of the devil to make us his own possession. That's the gospel. This is good news. This is what comforts us. To be a Christian is to share in Christ's anointing. And to, as king, fight with A free and good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. We are in a fight, brothers and sisters, but our king has delivered us and promises to deliver us. How how did he teach us to pray? Deliver us from evil. What does that mean if our God is not absolutely sovereign over evil? What are we even asking? Deliver us from evil. Because he will. He has. And Heidelberg 127 helpfully explains that in ourselves, we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our flesh, do not cease to attack us. Do you identify with that? It is never ending. You wake up in the morning and bam, there it is, all day, attack, attack, attack. Wilt thou therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. How will we ever attain the complete victory if our God is not sovereign over all evil? What hope do you have to make it? We pray that in desperation, knowing that our God will answer. He will answer. Beloved, Jesus is upholding you and strengthening you by the power of his spirit so that as you face the power, influence, and devastation of the devil, you will not go down to defeat. You will resist until the final victory is yours. Your sovereign God is providing for you, upholding you, strengthening you, loving you, granting you grace and strength along the way. Our hope and our confidence is that our sovereign King will deliver us fully and finally from evil. Why? Because he is sovereign over all evil.